<laughs> Guys, I can't fucking wait to see that movie. I'm Helen. I'm Miss Sinclair. And I'm Edison. And this week, we are bringing you a very special feature. Oh, yes. yes. We're going to play a fun little game of Mary Fuck Kill. I cannot wait to watch this movie again. It's just so fucking weird. We're about to hit the dance floor at Jackrabbit Slims because we've got that Saturday night fever, baby. I loved this movie too. <laughs> it was so ridiculous. I just pray that Green Book doesn't win best. Oh picture. god, I know. That- <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Talk Movie to Me, a weekly podcast where we discuss a movie we've all seen, our weekend entertainment, and an artist whose career we'd like to put in focus. I'm Helen. I'm Edison. And I'm Miss Sinclair. And this week we're doing a very special double feature episode. First up, we are tuning into the world of heavy metal drummer and drug addict Ruben, played by Riz Ahmed, whose life takes an unexpected turn when he begins to drastically lose his hearing. With his music career in jeopardy and his world and self-identity turned upside down, Ruben must learn to survive in a daunting world of unwelcomed silence. The film is directed by Darius Martyr and also stars Olivia Cooke as Lou, Ruben's bandmate and girlfriend, and Paul Racy as Joe, the leader of a deaf community whose advice and wisdom Ruben is reluctant to take. This film asks the question, when presented with life-altering challenges, can we move forward with acceptance and stillness, or succumb to our noisy minds full of regret, sadness, and muted dreams? This film is Sound of Metal. Hmm. Hmm. That's lovely. Yeah. Okay, first impressions, Helen. (laughs) Okay, well, my true first impression with this movie, and I know that Edison had the same experience... There are subtitles for part of this movie because our main character is going deaf mm-hmm. throughout the film, not the entire film, but when there's sounds that we're supposed to be aware of that we're not actually hearing. Yeah, I mean, we both got duped, but I was convinced that there was something wrong with the streaming because we mm-hmm. all streamed this off of Tiff yeah. Bell Lightbox. <laughs> I wish that and... I had known because I had, must have paused this and tried to mm-hmm. figure out the subtitle thing and hit play four times before I just said, oh, fuck it and gave in. Well, I did tell you after you brought it up. I was like... After, I meant after, yeah. <laughs> Justin and I watched this together and we just had to go eventually like, I think it's supposed to be this way, mm-hmm. <laughs> which it is. So yes, I spent the first, you know, five minutes of the movie trying to figure out why there were subtitles and how to turn them off and was unsuccessful. <laughs> so that was my first impression. Edison? I, I thought the opening was amazing right off the bat where we're actually in this rock performance, in this metal performance. I thought that they were really compelling. I, it's not a genre of music that I listen to or really know anything about. It was really captivating to watch Riz in that moment. I was like, wow, I didn't know that he had learned how to drum, but I thought if he hasn't, then they're doing an incredible job cutting like around whoever it is that's actually Mm -hmm. drumming. So I was impressed from the beginning at the technical part of it. Yeah. How about you, Sinclair? I've been looking forward to watching this film for a long time. I think Riz Mm -hmm. Ahmed is a great actor. You guys know I love me a bleach blonde rocker. (laughs) I was into this right away. But yeah, right off the bat, same for me too, Edison. I feel like this movie really pulls you into the world of a heavy metal band on tour and it allows you to feel the rush and energy and release Ruben experiences when he's playing the drums. So you already are getting a sense of what he's about to lose. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. very visceral. I have been to those bars and where the band is playing and it's small and sweaty and sticky and kind of gross and hot. 
and it is sexy and it's charged with that like energy and i really felt like pulled in i felt like they really successfully pulled you in there right away Okay, well, maybe let's start by getting into the storytelling. So, Helen, maybe you should start with some thoughts on Sound of Metal. Hmm. Yeah, well, I have to say I love this movie. I didn't know a whole lot before going into it. I knew that it was about a drummer that loses his hearing, but I didn't know there was the addiction angle to it. Mm -hmm. And that was a really pleasant addition. This is just unique storytelling, you know, a heavy metal drummer addict who goes deaf and finds a rehab facility catered to deaf people is not a world I've ever seen before. Mm-hmm. And it it forced me to think about the fact that like, oh yeah, there are obviously deaf people in the world that are addicts that can't go to your regular AA or NA group to get help. Right. Where do they go? And I've mm-hmm. never asked myself that question before. And I just... I appreciate films that force us to ask those kinds of questions mm-hmm. and force us to see these worlds that we've never possibly never conceived before in our minds. So, yeah, as a whole, storytelling wise, I'm so grateful for the unique story that this was. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like what you just said there is the log line in lesser hands and lesser writing could have devolved into just a never-ending barrage of cliche and stereotype. Mm, There's yeah. so much opportunity for this film to go wrong and mm-hmm. it doesn't. It mm-hmm. doesn't lean on that. It doesn't Mm-mm. become this sort of ham-fisted triumph of the human spirit. It's a really kind of honest, raw take and raw look at what this experience might be like. And I appreciated that so much from the storytelling mm-hmm. element of this film. Really, Mm -hmm. really appreciated that. Yeah, same with me. Like, well, first off, for me, I really did like this film (laughs) as well. Yeah, Yeah, me too. I think we're all on the same page with that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I thought this type of slower, naturalistic, more nuanced storytelling really allowed us as audiences to feel empathy without being pushy or melodramatic. It didn't feel like it had an agenda. It allows you to be a fly on the wall and experience a very heartbreaking and scary life-altering change for someone who is already walking a tightrope of possibly relapsing. Mm -hmm. And I felt this film was about accepting something that cannot be reversed which is Mm. so hard and Mm -hmm. you just want back what you had. And I feel like our brains go into this fix it mode where Mm. our focus Mm -hmm. becomes, I need to fix this right now. And the Mm -hmm. scariest idea is the acceptance because when you accept it, it's, it's real and it's really happened. But if you keep moving forwards, fixing it feels like there's still a chance to go back even when there isn't. And I just felt like just, very connected to obviously I haven't lost my hearing but I've just felt very connected to what he was experiencing Mm -hmm. and in a way he's faced that particular that particular dynamic before with addiction because Mm -hmm. addiction is the same thing it's not you can't ever go back to what it was before right Mm -hmm. that devil is always outside the door knocking just waiting for it to open a tiniest crack to come on in it's not something that can be fixed it's something yeah. that you accept and live with as best you can. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting how the addiction played into his reaction to what was happening on so many different levels. But one of the things I felt immediately was if he can't hear, he can't play drums, he can't go on tour with his love, 
he has no purpose, he's going mm. to go back to drugs. You know, it mm. takes it takes away his pillars of strength and he can tell, he can feel, you know, the devil mm. on his shoulder or devil on his back, like ready to pounce. Mm-hmm. And how, you know, it's not just you lost one of your senses, which is huge. It's, and now you've lost everything that's keeping your life together as well. Mm-hmm. How do you find a new meaning? You know, it's something that I, we think about often with artists. I always think about it with Whitney or whomever, like people, when she lost her voice for all those years. And it's Mm. like, this is the thing that was your whole driving purpose. It's what gave Mm -hmm. you your sense of like life and existence in the world. You attribute so much meaning to it. Artists are unique in that, Mm. I think, in the world. You know what I mean? If you're an engineer, you... Uh, have your job and you can be proud of the work that you've done but it doesn't necessarily define your existence in the Mm -hmm. world but if you're Mm -hmm. an artist a musician it kind of does affects every single element and facet of your life so for that to be just ripped away like this is an existential crisis of the highest degree yeah yeah Yeah, it's hard to lose something that's become your identity and you see this with Ruben when Joe is saying, you know, you can stay here, you can work here, and he doesn't want to stay. Like, he doesn't Mm. want to stay there and necessarily be in that deaf community permanently because it's not the image that he has of himself. Mm -hmm. He's attached to this image, and that doesn't fit who he's wanted to be. You know, he's thinking, if I'm not a musician, then who am I? Mm -hmm. You know, if I'm not chasing this dream... And I'm just staying here. And he even says, too, time just passes. Time is just passing. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Who am I if I'm just still and not moving? Right. And that also explains why he re- just resists acceptance of what's happening for so long. Anyone who finds themselves in a situation like this, like, it's almost like the Heart of Darkness journey where it's like, you know that this is going to end up badly, but you can't go any other way. And it's like, that's mm-hmm. why is compelling him to st- he's like I still have to play I still have to go out and play like yeah. putting his own physicality at risk for that well and it also feels like it's been for nothing in a way too because I I mean I feel with this band this this band was touring but I don't think they had reached the level that they wanted to be at mm-hmm. no. and it's really sad to see someone put so much of themselves into something to to reach a goal and people give so much to their art yeah but Yes, you gain experiences, but it takes so much out of you. Like people give their bodies and their soul to their art, but it does take more from you than it can give Mm -hmm. a lot of the time as well. Well, and his his relationship, I think, with drumming and that lifestyle replaced his relationship with drugs. Mm -hmm. So that addictive behavior is still present and it's still being applied to something. Mm-hmm. Like you sense it when his hearing's ripped away, his music's ripped away. It's like an addict's drug being taken from them. Like yeah. it's the same behavior. I was going to say, I, I've seen that with addicts that I know in my own life where, mm-hmm. okay, the substance taken away, but it, it gets filled by something else. <laughs> yes, yeah. absolutely. Exercise or yeah. some other, it, work, it doesn't matter. You know? Work, yeah. yeah. And I think that's why, you know, Joe had him s- sit and just yes. be still because yes. yeah. you have nothing to channel it into now. You could in your written word, in your thoughts, but just be still and see if you can find something there. And you could see 
how Ruben was affronted by that or was completely overwhelmed by that idea. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, people just don't like to sit in silence in general. And I also just really loved, you know, Joe saying things like, this isn't about fixing your hearing, it's mm-hmm. about fixing your mind. Yeah. And like finding those moments of st- of stillness for someone that's losing his hearing he has actually like so much noise going on in his head like he doesn't Mm -hmm. want to stop like he doesn't want to sit in silence because then he has to actually think about who he is Mm -hmm. and face everything and face it yeah A, a really admirable storytelling quality in this film is the fact that we experience so much of what's happening to Ruben as the audience. Mm-hmm. Yes. So often the sound will cut out when he starts to lose his hearing. We start to lose the sound of the film. And then as the film progresses, like that comes in and out. And when he does end up getting his implants, we hear what he's hearing and it's so distorted and jarring. And there was such I mean you already touched a little bit Edison on the visceral aspect of this movie but this movie was so visceral I was fucking terrified me too when he started to lose his hearing and I started to lose the sound of the film it's like incredibly affecting (laughs) it's a viscerally like incredibly difficult movie to watch actually Mm -hmm. and the Mm -hmm. scene near the end when he's watching Lou sing with her dad Mm -hmm. and we get to kind of hear it slowly turn into what he's hearing Mm -hmm. and it just sounds like clanging metal i think that this is a really unique case where like the technical decisions that they've made and we'll get into that have affected the storytelling as well yeah i actually really like the way they handled the relationship between ruben and lou Mm-hmm. as well uh lou played by olivia cook she's not around for a lot of the movie but when she is it, i found it quite impactful mm-hmm. i loved the scene between him and her in the bedroom um yeah. it's her bedroom when she's in paris yeah and that scene they're, was so beautiful yeah no, and they're kissing and she starts mm-hmm. crying and he says it's okay it's okay no and you know that they're know. breaking up yeah. but she doesn't have anything for him anymore and mm. he's not angry about it at all like he actually thanks her because this film really is about acceptance and it's about moving on from who you were before this person came into his life in a time that he needed her you know he says to her you saved me now where their lives have taken them their relationship has served its purpose but they need to move forward there's no like hardness in that scene it's it was just beautiful yeah i texted you helen when i was watching that scene i was weeping honestly i could cry right now thinking about that that was such a gut punch of a scene and i think you know there was that little moment where she like almost instinctively started scratching at her arm again Mm -hmm. um where the where she had had like the marks and Mm -hmm. he clocked that he had this moment of recognition where okay they had served their purpose, like you're saying, but also there was maybe a toxicity to their partnership as well. Yeah. And that she was better now too. And right. he didn't want to have any part in making it go wrong. He didn't want to mm-hmm. be the reason why she started scratching her arm again. And I think that's part of why he said, it's okay, Lou, it's okay. Yeah. Well, their band life too, as much as it gave to them, it might've been toxic as well right and their relationship was based on that music and that band and it's time for them to both move forward from it and if your relationship 
originated there and that was such a big part of it sometimes that defines it and you have to move on from it it's heartbreaking gut-wrenching mm-hmm. but it's also honest and beautiful and actually shows mm-hmm. the evolution of both of those characters okay well speaking of all the emotions we yeah. should maybe get into performances mm-hmm. how did you guys feel about ah sigh Riz, <laughs> okay pause be still my heart <laughs> be still my heart too you can't it is running rampant <laughs> this is another he is another one in this film where it's very rare yeah. where the three of very us agree rare. Yeah. But mm-hmm. we're all on the same page here. Wow. Woo! Yeah. I'm blushing right now. <laughs> yeah. Oh my and I'm sweating. Yeah, Lord I'm sweating. help me. Riz. Honey. Yeah. So beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so I think that like I think that this is a really unique year for like the Oscars to even talk about it. I don't know whether this film will pick up enough kind of momentum and like get the eyes on it necessary, but I think he should be in the running for the Oscar. And I agree. I think that there's three scenes that just show how fantastic a performance this is. One we just talked about. It was Mm -hmm. the scene in Paris at the end. The other one was that scene where she leaves him outside the Mm -hmm. farm and she leaves and pulls away and he's like kind of panicking to himself and he sits down it's so powerful and then the scene when he asks joe for money and joe tells Mm -hmm. him that he has to leave these are three totally different emotional responses to Mm. really kind of cataclysmic moments that are happening Mm -hmm. yeah it's his eye acting as hell he has he has he has has amazing eye acting yeah (laughs) I just think he's so beautiful. Honestly, I was swooning the entire time. Like, he's just, he's so beautiful. His emotions and his nuance. I think he's just, like, so lovely and wonderful. Sigh. I mean, think about this character (laughs) compared to the character in Nightcrawler. Mm -hmm. Like, the versatility of this actor. It's incredible. And he, this performance, to me, I feel like he has so much respect for this person mm-hmm. and he's doing such a service to this person and telling the story. That's I think where the authenticity comes from. He's just being so true to who this person is and the arc that we see him go through in this movie. I mean, at the beginning of the movie, he's vibrating, mm-hmm. you know, his mm. energy is constant vibrating and by the end of it there's this like placidness to him there's a Mm -hmm. calm and an acceptance and it's incredible like it's it's really incredible and the scenes where he's deaf where people are talking and he can't hear what they're saying I don't know if he had stuff in his ears to stop him from being able Mm -hmm. to hear or what whatever the case is that that acting is incredible yeah to pretend that you don't have a sense that you do have right. and mm-hmm. react to that in an authentic way like it's olympic acting <laughs> it's yeah. the way that he like looks it's it's yeah you said it sinclair it's the eye acting and like i sent you that text earlier it's the way that he listens with his eyes he mm-hmm. like stares and it's almost a naivety or like a wonder that he's mm-hmm. expressing which there's like a purity of soul of an artist that is coming through in this performance where he's like, despite it being a really horrifying thing that's happening to him, he is still observing it through an artist's mind in some weird way of like wonder and and 
I just thought it's so powerful. Yeah. But that's what I mean when I say he he does such a service to this character. Yeah. Like he has so much respect for who this person is and it shows in the performance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so beautiful. <laughs> I really loved Paul Racy who plays mm-hmm. Joe. Same um, here. He is such a cool guy. I don't know if you guys looked yeah. his history up, but he was a child of deaf parents, so he's known sign American sign language his whole life. And he is the front man for a Black Sabbath tribute band nice. called Hands of Doom. Nice. Amazing. He, he signs all the lyrics in the performances. Wow. So they have deaf people all constantly coming to their shows because they can understand the music. Come understand on. The I know. Come <laughs> I know. It's on. Incredible. Amazing. Yeah. He was fantastic. This yeah. He's that like every person hero. He's just so humble and down to earth. And I really loved that character. I love that character's philosophy about how this isn't something that needs to be fixed. And mm-hmm. I thought yeah. that he brought such a authority and gravitas to it. Uh, yeah, I thought it was a really beautiful performance as well. Just yeah. so natural and real. Yeah, his performance felt very lived in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was reading an article where Darius Martyr's instruction to him was no acting allowed. <laughs> mm. I love that. I love that. He's also a recovering addict. So, you know, he's playing a character where he knows that guy. There are no, no acting necessary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. just just be authentic and be who you are. And often that's the toughest type of acting to do. I know. Yeah. Yeah, there was a lot of members of the deaf community in in the film as well. Darius Martyr said that he didn't want the film to represent the the deaf community. He wanted the deaf community to represent themselves Hmm. in the film. So there was a lot of freedom in the scenes to just be as authentic as possible. And you really do feel that nothing felt out of place. Everything felt natural and and real. Olivia Cook too. I had only seen Mm -hmm. her in Thoroughbreds and she's essentially a sociopath in that. So (laughs) this was definitely Um, more of a emotive performance. Have you not seen Me, Earl and the Dying Girl? No. Actually, I've seen Katie Says Goodbye, but she's very, very quiet in that. So Mm. I felt like this was... A very raw and emotional role for her mm-hmm. so it was a way I hadn't seen her before yeah I thought she was really great I had never seen her in anything before I like that character you know we all know that person who kind of comes from money but rejects it in some way their idea of rebellion is going to live this like alternative lifestyle or whatever but mm-hmm. ultimately they end up back there because the world is actually extremely tough and right. if you're fucking yeah. incredibly privileged <laughs> At a certain point, you realize, oh, right, yeah, it's actually much better to be living in this palatial place of Paris. Um, but <laughs> so there was a, I had a little bit of a detachment from her as a character because I'm kind of like, mm. nah. but I thought that her performance was really good. Yeah. Yeah. All of the performances in this movie, I thought, were pretty much pitch perfect. And I think that's a, a testament, obviously, to the actors, but to the directing as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's chat about technical aspects of the film a little bit because that was a huge highlight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my God, yeah. Incredibly well done. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt incredibly stressed while watching this. Oh my this. God, I was so you... terrified. Yeah, it's like, it's <sighs> scary. You really do experience him losing his hearing. 
Yeah. The ringing, too. Like, oh. the ringing sound, the muted voices. That was so effective. Yeah. Uh, when he gets the implants in, that tinny Oof. sound. Oh, my God. Insane. The technical aspects really helped you empathize with him like you guys were seeing on a visceral level it just all worked together so well and even before yeah. we got to the bit where he was deaf that first scene where he's waking up in the morning in their like uh, airstream trailer and you know mm-hmm. he's making coffee or something and doing his exercises every single sound was happening him moving the bedding was a sound him like turning mm-hmm. on the little heater thing was a sound it, when it was all very loud even at that point, I was like, wow, you realize actually how much noise we make just like with our mundane activities. This really is like the film <laughs> that shows a sound mixing as how like mm. vital it is to a mm-hmm. movie <laughs> and right. sound editing. Yeah. Well, all the musical performances too were live. They were all live takes. Oh, cool. Oh, I didn't know that. That's really cool. The The director just didn't want any sort of, um, you know, mouthing the lyrics to the song or mm. putting the sound in after. So every take that you see where they're playing is actual live, live takes. I love that. I really enjoyed the set design too. Like that RV was mm. <laughs> packed full, but it was so... I mean, it was so claustrophobic, but also like impressive. Like he fit an entire fucking drum kit in there. <laughs> right. And like soundboard. <laughs> and soundboard. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. No, I that, agree. That was cool to just look at. I was like, wow, that's yeah. impressive. <laughs> it just very much was like their home. You believe that that yeah. was where yeah. these two characters lived. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there are, you know, newspaper clippings and magazine clippings on the walls, like all of that. It was just, again, it just felt so authentic. Yeah, I think that's the key. That's the key across mm. all three things, right? The storytelling, mm. the performances, and the technical, I would say, is this film just feels authentic. It rings with mm-hmm. with authenticity. Okay, so what is the last word on Sound of Metal, Helen? So I've read a few reviews that recommend watching this movie with headphones, with noise-canceling headphones, which I did not. I watched it on TV, but I that would be an interesting experience, I mm-hmm. think, to be that immersed other than that this is one of the best movies that i've seen this year i highly recommend it and i sincerely hope it gets awards recognition in 2021 yeah me too yeah last word for me i think this is a great film wonderful performances fantastic storytelling as we've mentioned already as we've swooned over this movie there's a lot of crap out right now Mm -hmm. on streaming services uh this is not this is a really great opportunity to watch something at home and have it be of really wonderful quality so i'm for this movie all the way Mm -hmm. (laughs) the last word for me is that sound of metal is a story about grief and about loss and coming to terms with having to redefine yourself and and finding a new path for yourself. And it's an incredibly difficult challenge. It is a triumphant story in some ways, but it doesn't, it plays against the tropes that we expect from that story at Mm -hmm. every single turn. You have to tune in and watch this for Riz Ahmed's performance. It's really brilliant. And I hope that a lot of people see this film. And yeah, I'm with you. I hope it gets attention in the award season for sure. Okay, well, uh, Sinclair, speaking of the uh, crap that's uh, currently streaming, for our next (laughs) film in uh, this week's special double-featured episode, 
We are discussing Hillbilly Elegy, the new film directed by Ron Howard, based on the best-selling memoir by J.D. Vance. Hillbilly Elegy stars Gabriel Basso as J.D., alongside Haley Bennett as Sister Lindsay, Amy Adams as Mom Bev, and Glenn Close as Mama. The perfect picture of a warm and fuzzy grandmother showering her family with love and praise. And cigarette ash. Yeah, no, yeah, that's obviously a joke. She does shower them with yeah, her know, cigarette know, ashes. <laughs> and brilliant liner, brilliant one-liners like, "Well, bless my ruby red asshole." But yeah. <laughs> twenty-time Oscar nominee Glenn Close as Mama. I can't. This will be the one. This will be the one that gets her the award. Um. Hillbilly Elegy is a sort of split narrative where we see JD in 2011 at Yale trying his best to adapt to the Ivy League snobs while hoping to land an internship at a fancy law firm. That makes sense. He's got a beautiful, supportive (laughs) girlfriend played by Frida Pinto and things seem to be going all right until he gets a call from his sister letting him know that their mom is overdosed on heroin and is in the hospital. So he returns to Ohio to deal with that. The other narrative is JD's life as a kid in the 90s, living in Ohio and struggling to cope with his mother's increasingly destructive drug addiction and just the overall dysfunction of his family. Hillbilly Elegy asks the question, is the secret to escaping generational trauma and systemic poverty just a tough love grandmother and a fancy calculator? (laughs) All good questions. Uh First impression, Helen. This movie has voiceover narration, so I hate it already. (laughs) Sinclair? Like a classic 90s voiceover narration, too. Mm -hmm. (laughs) First impression for me, from the moment I saw this trailer, with Glenn Close in that wig and oversized glasses, and Amy Adams channeling the B version of her performance in The Fighter, I thought, good God, the road to an Oscar is long, Winding, desperate, and paved with bad decisions. <laughs> and, and this one, we have to say, is a bit of a divergent off that road. Um, yeah. My first impression would prove to be a misleading one. So the opening couple of scenes, you know, they're set in Kentucky. The, the lighting is honestly sublime. The sunshine is warm. The green of this like bucolic landscape is stunning. I'm homesick for Nova Scotia. Oh god! There's Just this... give Edison some gorgeous landscapes, and <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I'm in. There's some like sort of triumphant cheesy musical score. That very cheesy, you know, nineties voiceover so narration. 90s and gross. I hate it. Yeah. A kid on a bike saving a turtle and visiting a swimming hole. I'm like, my first thoughts were honestly, okay, so is this going to be like a sweet and lovely story? Maybe like wholesome, even. Right. <laughs> Yeah. Right. So let's, okay. I mean, I don't think we need to divulge into all of the particularities of this film. Why don't we just do what worked and what didn't? So let's start with what worked. Yeah, Helen, what worked about this film? <clears throat> Sinclair? <laughs> uh, what worked for me about Hillbilly Elegy? Um, it was free on Netflix and I could walk away from it at any moment. <laughs> What worked for me, I only realized in the very, very last couple of seconds of the film when they showed you the the footage of the actual people. And I realized that Glenn Close actually did look like Mama. So I spent the whole film thinking she was a cartoon. And then in actuality, 
Uh, that's yes. what that woman looked like. So that worked, the yeah. costume design. Yeah. I did text Edison at the end credits and I was like, okay, Glenn Close actually does look exactly like Mama in this. <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. well, Helen, what did it work? Where do I begin? Okay, so this is based off of a book by J.D. Vance, the main mm-hmm. character, which was a best-selling novel. I haven't read it. I don't particularly care to, but I have to imagine that this is a, a quite a poor adaptation. This story is not told in the right way. I, I'm also not entirely sure what it wants to say. I gather that the main sentiment is, you know, being proud of where you came from and then moving on to something else. But if that is, I don't know what he's proud of. This movie mm-hmm. does not show me anything redeemable about the history of this family at all. This is meant to be some sort of like moving biopic about rising above yeah. the struggle or something, but that is not what it is. This is a no. fucking horrifying story of trauma, of the effects yeah. of abuse, of addiction, of death, and poverty on a family through three generations. The fact that it's framed as this weird triumph of this guy who <sighs> breaks free of the cycle just by like pulling up his bootstraps and working hard does a total disservice to the reality of all of this, the systemic nature of these issues of poverty and everything. And also that the key to JD's actualization as like a successful adult who's made a better life for himself and escaped this lies in him landing a job with a law firm that's full of people that this film has only made us hate is ridiculous. Yeah, it's like his character is lashing out against the man at that table in the beginning calling his where he comes from, the people, they're rednecks, and him taking such great offense to that. And then we do not see anything positive about this history, and we don't see him wanting to identify with it. Like, it, it what's the messaging? Yeah. See, Edison, I, I agree with a lot that you said in your intro to this mm. segment, because that was one of my biggest things is, I think in 2020, this is a bit tone deaf mm. to what's going on. The, it's it's tone, <laughs> fine, it's tone deaf as fuck. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think that everybody's trying to see the bigger problem than just the individual having to rise up and overcome their obstacles. We're seeing the world is systemically set up for people to fail. People need more than just a surly grandma who believes in them. Mm-hmm. It's a lot more involved than this movie lets on. It just felt to me like it was incredibly obvious that this is a film made by people who have no idea the actual lives of people in this part of the country. There Mm. are stories there in the Appalachians, in the Ozarks, Mm. in the Rust Belt, in this heart of America. There are stories that can be told that are real and complex and that magnify the voices of its people. But Mm -hmm. this is not one of them. It's made by Ron Howard, who has been a famous in Hollywood since he was a child. He is not Mm -hmm. in touch with this. And it's the exact kind of bullshit garbage drivel misunderstanding of the lived experience of these people that turns people against Hollywood. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because the issues in this film are real. Poverty is real. Addiction is real. Family drama is real. There should be something in this that should feel authentic and something we can empathize with. But when you 
paint us a picture using the most basic filmmaking 101 interpretation, it yeah. doesn't incite any feelings in us as audience members. This, we don't want to see this portrayed in this way anymore. We want reality. We're beyond this. These are broad brushstrokes. It's just not enough anymore. This movie felt like a Hallmark movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this is a movie directed by fucking Ron Howard, you know? Yeah. yeah. And written by Vanessa Taylor, a great screenwriter who wrote some of my favorite Game of Thrones episodes and also co-wrote mm. The Shape of Water. Why did she yeah. write? How did she write this? Yeah. Well, I just feel like Ron Howard is a cautious director. Like even mm-hmm, the book, definitely. like this book sparked a lot of political conversation, but this movie doesn't. Mm-hmm. I know it's at all. I feel like it's pretending it is, but it it doesn't. I don't feel like this film even had a political opinion. Yeah, like I expected this movie to have way more um, controversial opinions. Yes, and it it really doesn't. Like it's just so vanilla (laughs) in terms of filmmaking. It is such basic. Like it feels like a movie of the week. Like I just, it's dumbfounding to me. It also was relentless. It was like, yes. we're going to introduce us, begin a scene with some calm, and then in 90 seconds, it's going to devolve yeah. into absolute chaos. And that yeah. was every absolute single chaos. scene in this entire film. Yeah. yeah, that was one of my huge problems. And to talk about the relationship between JD and Bev, Bev mm-hmm. is Amy Adams' character, his mother. Tell me a redeeming quality for this character because I can't tell you one. She is an emotionally and physically abusive mother who is an addict. Even before she becomes an addict, she's a fucking awful person. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's, why do I care? Why would I care for this guy to go back and go rescue his heroin overdosing mother? It's really weird character development. Well, it's also it's also just desperate. Like you can smell the desperation in it. That was yeah. one of my biggest problems with this film is that it was, wasn't authentic. You know, we just talked about how important it was for Sound of Metal to be authentic and how we empathized because we felt like it was real. Like mm-hmm. there's a lot of conversation about this film being an Oscar bait film, which I think is really inaccurate. I actually felt this was more of a parody of an Oscar bait Seriously. film. Seriously. Yes. yes. It was like this film had no intention of telling an actual story about a human experience. It just mm. grabbed on to so many stereotypical, outdated ideas and just threw it in a pot. Like it was like, okay, <laughs> two actresses who are notoriously known for never winning. That's a huge conversation right there that you can't help but think like right off the bat as soon as you yeah. see this. Okay, it's a story of overcoming the odds. Okay, lots of prosthetics. Okay, let's throw in some addiction. Let's throw in some poverty mm-hmm. based on a true story. Okay, great. Let's throw in a score by Hans Zimmer. Like this film was so yeah. uninspired. There's zero humanity in this film. Yeah. Yeah. We don't care about any of them. JD is our main character. I don't give a single flying Flanagan (laughs) fuck about JD. Me neither. None, zero. I don't believe in his like need to get... I care about the little boy, the young boy in that portion who's being like abused. I'm like, someone fucking call child services and save Mm -hmm. that kid. But I don't care about his journey because it doesn't make any sense. And I don't care about Amy Adams because she's not a real person. And I don't care about Mm -hmm. Mama because she's not a real person. None of these, Mm -hmm. there's no actual humanity in this film. And they actually are based on real people. (laughs) I know. Which makes it worse. I know. It does. They're all just drawn in light outlines of primary colored markers. And that's it. Yeah, and I mean, even just show, you know, the depiction of 
JD's struggles at Yale. Like he goes to a dinner and doesn't know whether to pick Chardonnay or Sauvignon Blanc. Like pick a he's fucking like, wine. Oh, he's like, oh my God, there's two kinds of wine. Pardon me. You're gonna go to. You're gonna be at Yale. You're gonna be however old you are at this point. You don't. You, excuse me. You're confused by two different choices of white wine. That's bullshit. That's yeah. a ridiculous stereotype. That's not true, and it's also wildly offensive to every person yeah. from that region. I'm sorry. How many times in how many fucking films do I need to see them go over that same goddamn moment of the which coloring? Fork do the I cutlery, choose? The coloring. I cannot. <laughs> Yeah. It was okay in Titanic. I was just you know, about to say that. <laughs> in it's okay when, when Jack asked Kathy Bates. That's okay. It is not years okay ago. in this movie. That's the only Every time single we'll person it. in the entire world saw Titanic. We got yeah. the joke. <laughs> you don't need to friggin' give it to us again. Stop. Just stop. 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 And then the conversation with Frida Pinto, and then she makes him put the eye eyes around fingers around his eyes. Ha ha! I can't, I can't believe you actually like. It's like that's what feels so hallmarky about it. I'm like, that yeah. is the lamest comedic moment. Yeah. And I as soon as I saw time. her, I was excited. I was like, Oh my god, Frida Pinto! Yes, I haven't seen you in ages. Yeah. You're so beautiful. Oh god, like, where have you been? And then she has like nothing as a character. Well, she's the the uh, caring girlfriend on the phone. Yeah. Ca- the caring girlfriend. Yeah. Okay, why don't we get into the performances? Is this going to be it? Is this is this going to be what gets Glenn Close and Amy Adams their Oscars, guys? <laughs> I got, okay, look, it'll, let me it'll just get be honest. Them their Razzies. I don't understand. I do not understand. These are two of the best actresses that we have working today. They have both mm-hmm. been nominated countless times for Oscars. They are really celebrated. They often deliver really amazing work. Glenn Close gave us an SNL character sketch, and Amy <laughs> she Adams... She was essentially Kate McKinnon. In yeah. A... yeah. Actually, actually. And Amy Adams had exactly two modes. Absolute yeah. histrionic, disastrous, screaming nightmare, or mm. like quiet supplicant kind of... It was just like, what was this? I know. I think it's interesting, though, for them to have put Glenn Close and Amy Adams in this type of movie. I think that because their reputation of not winning Oscars is it's almost so cynical. known, it yeah. is. It just, it's too glaring. I, yeah. I thought that right mm. away, as soon as I saw the trailer, I was like, oh, uh, okay. They're it was like, like a hope that for... that was going to be the narrative, the like publicity narrative of this film. Yeah, but it yeah. just it just reeks of this agenda and desperation that it's it makes you feel put off by it's the film inst- yeah. instantly. But forgetting all of the politics of it, how did they deliver this performance? These performances. I know. Okay, so I I did actually start watching it again for a second time today to kind of like reinvigorate my hatred. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I was studying it, and I was really trying to figure out like, okay, why is this so bad? Mm-hmm. And I do think that. I mean, the script is not good, but I do feel like part of it comes from the score and the flashbacks and the voiceover, like the tone of the film, the yeah. tone. It is constructed in such a G-rated, sappy way that I feel like those performances only add to that like lameness. Like if this, mm-hmm. if those performances were in a grittier movie, it could work, maybe. Well, it also felt very like August Osage County, like mm. like very Meryl Streep. Like, I'm sorry, mm. but I could see Meryl Streep as Mama. <laughs> Let's be real. You know, like. <laughs> I, 
Claire is criticizing I'm, Meryl Streep for a performance she did not I know. Give. I feel like I know. Meryl like, Streep. Let's be real. You just can't. Look, if there's anything I, that we can count on as a certainty, you will find a way to include your dislike of Meryl Streep, and I will find a way to include Whitney. And conveniently, this film does both, because actually I just remembered the one thing that I did <laughs> oh, like about yes! this film was the scene when Whitney was playing and Amy said, can you turn down this show? I can't hear Whitney. There it is. And But then the boy says, I like it better that way. Yeah. He shades Whitney. Yeah. Oh, my God. Well, I did not hear that, and now I hate the film even more. <laughs> I have two more points that I want to say, and then I have nothing else to say about this movie. One, there are beautiful movies about poverty in America, one of which being... The Florida Project, which we've talked about many times, that is such a delicate, beautiful slice of life film. Mm-hmm. I think this story could have emulated that. Mm-hmm. It absolutely did not, but it could have. It was possible. Also, I'm reading a novel right now that Miss Sinclair <laughs> left to me, Where the Crawdads Sing uh, by Delia Owens, that is a stunning portrait of poverty in the South mm-hmm. that shows the beauty of it. Like this movie shows no beauty in that world and the beauty exists yeah it does of course you know in reading that and watching this movie i just it made me even more angry because i'm like oh i got the text i got the text (laughs) (laughs) that's it that's all i had left to say (sighs) okay let's give our last word the last word on hibbley for me is that i agree completely with that i felt like this film was offensive and i hate (laughs) to throw that out there because everything is fucking offensive but right <laughs> it, this film is it mm-hmm. is clearly made by people who have no idea i've never been to this part of america i don't right. know these people but i know that there are stories there that it's not just dire tragedy and that's mm-hmm. all that's presented and every single thing about this film was stereotypical garbage and drivel and i hated it <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah this movie to me was a bad version of these movies in the 90s like not even a good one it's Mm -hmm. a bad version of these movies in the 90s these characters are caricatures of these people I as well absolutely hated it I I have a an active hatred happening for this movie right now and I will argue with people if they think that this movie is good Sinclair Um, okay. Um, last word. No. (laughs) Yeah, fair. What is it? Perch and swivel. Perch (laughs) and swivel. Uh, Well, this has been another episode of Talk Movie to Me. If you would like to get in touch with us, our email is talkmovietome at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at talkmovietome. Tweet at us at TMTMPodcast. Rate and review us on iTunes. Check out our website, talkmovietomepodcast.com. Become a Patreon member, patreon.com slash talkmovietome. You can listen to last week's episode, which is Heroes and Villains. It's really funny. I'm Helen. I'm Miss Sinclair. And I'm Edison. Thanks for listening. And don't watch Hillbilly Elegy. <laughs> I'm like so, so mad.